All right, there we go. We are live. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. According to Vice President Kamala Harris, Bidenomics is a wild success. Also, according to Harris, success means a good thing, which is not bad. <laughs> and she is not the only one suggesting this. Lately, there's been a rash of articles and rhetoric promoting this narrative. Is this the case? We're going to look under the hood of Bidenomics and see what's really going on. We're going to be talking about this and more on episode 410 of the In the Tank podcast. Thank you. That was for my Kamala Harris joke at the beginning. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Keep it down. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me, I've got the full crew. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing just fine, Donnie. Thank you. Uh, that applause actually wasn't for you. Uh, I hit that applause because uh, Justin T. Haskins made it to the studio one minute and 56 seconds before airtime. So uh, I just wanted to congratulate him for uh, getting here so early. Yeah, Justin has a uh, University of New Hampshire hat. Right. Director of the Socialism Research Center here at the Heartland Institute. We were guessing what the mascot was there. Jim led it off with Bobcats, which was given us, uh, Justin gave us a no on that one. I said Wildcat, which he Thund didn't. How about Thundercats? <laughs> Thundercats. <laughs> You know, it should be Thundercats. It's not, be. but that sounds like the right answer to me. I said, it sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, no, it is New Hampshire Wildcats. I got it! Wildcats. Donnie was right. I guess so the most was... generic cat I could think of. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Yep. Uni University of New Hampshire. I am, of course, from the uh, the very great state of New Hampshire. Yeah, they kicked them out uh, of the state. They they did not. It's it's home they won't to. Let them back I'm in. one of. No, they they let me back in. I mean, they're not happy about it, but they let me in. Um, so it's kind of like most other places I go. Uh, but it, it's you know New Hampshire is an amazing place. It does not get the credit that it deserves. It's beautiful. It has mountains and ocean. There's not a lot of places that have that. It's of course one of the original thirteen colonies. So you're welcome, America, for everything that we've done to build this place. <laughs> Uh, and it's also home to me and to Adam Sandler and uh, to a whole bunch of other people. Even Mitt Romney, even, even, even Mitt Romney once lived there for a while uh, while he was, you know, I don't know. They, didn't have, to... they didn't have enough hot dogs, so he left. He left pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Did we ever play that? Did you guys ever play that? Like on an episode that I was. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. How did you not play that? For those who don't know what we're talking about, Mitt Romney did an incredible infomercial for hot dogs. His favorite meat. Uh, it is so it is so funny. We need to pull that up actually at some point. But yes, New Hampshire Wildcats, uh, go Wildcats or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. Also joining us, Chris Talgo, editorial director at the Heartland Institute. Chris, hot dogs. Where do they rank on your favorite meats? Mm, pretty low. Pretty low. I'm not a big fan of hot dogs. I like brats, like burgers, but no, hot dogs, nah. All right, all right. You're not a real American, then. Oh, hey, by the way, I do put ketchup and mustard on my hot dogs. So, uh, yeah, me too. I think it's absurd that people have somehow made this like some religious experience eating a hot dog that can't be marred by. I go for everything. Tomato knowledge, ketchup, onions, you know. All right, all right. Uh. We got a lot to get into, but before we do, I do have to mention a couple of things. One, Heartland Institute's 39th anniversary benefit dinner is about a month away, featuring John Stossel and Jeannie Ives. And Chris, Chris is going to be there in case you needed any more incentive to come. Uh, Jim, is there, uh, is there anything that you want to say on behalf of the, what is it, about four weeks away, something like that? 
Yeah, it's September 8th, uh, Friday, September 8th. Uh, it starts at, uh, with a, a wonderful cocktail reception. And if you get VIP tickets, you get to hang out with uh, John Stossel and have a couple drinks before uh, before the program begins in earnest at six o'clock. Um, it's always actually a really good dinner. Um, <laughs> the uh, Chicago Marriott Hotel, uh, right by O'Hare, the Chicago O'Hare Marriott Hotel, uh, right near the airport, um, actually has very good food. You know, we've done a lot of these dinners, you know, uh, and it's not easy to cook for 200, 300 people, but uh, they actually do a great job. So you get your money's worth on that. Um, and again, I'll be there. Donnie will be there. Uh, Chris will be there. I think Justin has a conflict, so he will not be there. But Linnea, who's a big popular person on this show and our climate change roundtable show, at the main Heartland Channel on Fridays, will be there. So it's a, it's going to be a, it's always a great event. Uh, John Stossel is just fantastic. Um, you know, he's he's won a Peabody Award. He's, you know, probably the only prominent libertarian to ever rise to the very top of media in this country. Uh, and it's uh, it's a shame that he's that he would be the only one and that you don't see a lot of common sense on news these days. Uh, I think he would have quit um, long ago based on the way the media has moved, especially television media over the last couple of uh, decades or so. But, uh, yep, it's going to be a fantastic evening. It's a great way to support the Heartland Institute, to meet some good people, and also fellow lovers of liberty. It's uh, pretty much kind of the liberty highlight event of the year every year in Chicago. So we hope to see people that live in the area will come out and uh, maybe people from out of town. I think it's worth the trip. Yeah, absolutely. I will definitely be there. I'm sure I'll be manning one of the tables or something like that or milling about or, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, keep out of Jim's way, basically. For an event like this, so I'm gonna be selling raffle tickets. That's what they'll be doing. <laughs> That's that right? Uh, Justin, Justin, Justin. All right, everyone. Thank you for uh, for tuning into the show. Um, for if you want to support the show, hitting that like button, subscribing would be fantastic. If you're watching this or listening to the audio version, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time. Uh, noon, right? Did I say that? Noon Central Time, where we are live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter and everything like that. You throw your comments and, uh, uh, and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Those are all things that you could do to, to help us out here by, you know, hitting that uh, subscribe button and sharing the content, leaving a comment. All breaks through those big tech algorithms and front content like this from being shown to more people. I know I mangled all of that, but it is because I am also trying to man the cameras here. So I'm uh, my head's in a couple of different directions. But Jim, let's get to some of our topics here. All right. You lobbied us pretty hard, lobbied me pretty hard about, uh, um, you know, what what is on a topic that's popular being popularly being referred to as the Biden crime family this week. And we did touch on this a little bit last week, but I know you had a lot more to say, like literally pages of a word documents to say on this that we didn't get to. So in addition to a seemingly daily stream of stories about Biden and his son Hunter and the alleged corruption they're both involved with, we have yet another story to add on to this list that just broke this week. According to new banking records obtained by the House Oversight Committee, the Biden family and its business associates received millions of dollars from oligarchs in Russia, Kazakhstan, and, you guessed it, Ukraine, while Joe Biden was vice president. Seems like a big deal, but surely this will fade away quickly with nothing more than another Trump indictment and a couple of, come on, mans. <laughs> so, Jim, let's have it. What do you have to say about Biden this week? Well... Yeah, I mean, I wanted to bring it up last week to kind of compare the lack of any accountability in either the media or especially our justice system with what's going on with the Biden crime family compared to them going after Trump. Um, and I didn't quite get to all of it. But you know, yeah, this this the, the it seems like there's new revelations every couple of days about just how um, recklessly corrupt and rapaciously corrupt, as a friend I, I follow on Twitter, John Hayward had put it. I think that's a perfect term. The, the Bidens are rapaciously corrupt. Um, Megyn Kelly said on her uh, show the other day, you can find that on YouTube. It's fantastic. She swears a lot now, <laughs> now that she's not on Fox anymore. Still a very interesting show. Uh, she said the other day that this whole thing is, is not a case of Hunter Biden using his father to make money. It's a case of Joe Biden using his son to make money. Um, in the infamous 
Hunter Biden laptop, which was always real and never Russian disinformation, despite the fact that the uh, the deep state conspired to get it out of the news when it could have affected the election in 2020. Um, you might remember if you're a, if you've studied the stories about Hunter Biden's laptop that he lamented in text messages to family members that um, he have he was giving he was sick and tired of being the money man for the family and giving half his half the stuff you know half of his money to the old man. Um, that was in the Hunter Biden laptop. There's no reason to believe that that those text messages are fake. Um, and I think Megyn Kelly has it exactly correct that Hunter Biden was not trying to make money off his dad. His dad was trying to make money by selling his influence through his son, Hunter Biden. Um, I like to think of Hunter Biden is like uh, of the crime family. Hunter is Fredo. He, he's the dimwitted son you sent out to Las Vegas to run some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere and then send the money back home. Joe Biden is the Don. The idea that he didn't have any idea what was going on here uh, is absurd. It was only going on because he was directing it. Again, as Megyn Kelly said, this was a way for him to make money off his son, not the other way around. Um, and for Democrats and the media, as as more of this information, um, a lot of it, um, testimony behind closed doors that the representatives in Congress come out and talk about later in the oversight hearings. The media, the, the spin right away was that um, this that Hunter wasn't selling access to his father and influence of his father to oligarchs in some of the worst countries on earth, like China and Ukraine, but that it was the illusion of access. Um, that no, no. When when you can sit in a in a in a restaurant in in Europe and brag to your you know your friends the people that your business partners who are giving you millions of dollars for doing nothing for, for you have no expertise in business let alone this particular businesses like energy that these uh that this business was supposedly about you you're sitting in a restaurant and say you don't you don't think I can get my old man on the phone watch this watch this and you put him on speakerphone repeatedly at least 20 times according to Devin Archer his Biden's American business partner 20 times he got him on the on speakerphone um, in front of his oligarchs who were then funneling money uh, to, I don't know, was there two dozen, three dozen shell companies that money was coming into from 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 overseas, from China, from Romania, from Ukraine and other places? Um, this it is <laughs> it's absurd that our media just keeps just keeps running interference for this. But it's, it's the truth. And this is what's really most depressing about this entire Biden crime fam family story. The corruption is actually rather crude. Um, not very sophisticated and frankly, kind of typical. You, you would expect this kind of corruption. It's the fact that the media and the government from the FBI, uh, federal prosecutors, to the intelligence community, all of them were actively suppressing and thwarting any accountability for the Bidens on this. And you have to start to wonder why is that? Maybe it's because this type of corruption is a lot more common than, than we might realize and not just with the Biden family. But you know, we even had Politico in a now deleted tweet I think yesterday, say that, yeah, sure, sure, sure. $20 million was deposited in a series of shell companies that the Biden family used as income, but there wasn't a direct check with Joe Biden's name on it. Uh, so that's where they are now. And it's actually, the way this story is developed reminds me of the way the late great Andrew Breitbart used to handle scandals and they would just drip a little bit at a time. And you get the, defend, the people trying to defend this corruption out there a little farther and farther and farther on that branch before you saw it off. Um, you know, but, you know, again, I compared it to bring it all the way back around to Trump. You know, you guys might remember um, we played the clip yesterday, uh, last week of the celebrity saying that you can stop uh, Donald Trump from being president by uh, voting for somebody else in the Electoral College. And at the same time, um, they were also throwing out the emoluments clause of the Constitution, which nobody knows what it is, probably. But it was the idea that Donald Trump shouldn't be president because he was profiting. He illegally profited because Saudi, the Saudi government rented rooms at his hotel in Washington, D.C. or something like you can't profit off your office. That's an impeachable offense and all that stuff. And here we have the that was such a joke. And now here we have the Bidens getting literally millions of dollars of income in, in corrupt ways, if proven. And I think that the evidence is very, very strong. And, uh, you know, again, our system, our media, our government is doing nothing about it while while sicking the full force of the law against Trump and everyone even remotely associated with him. So that's that's kind of depressing, but that's the world 
of politics and uh, and law that we live in right now. Yeah, well, Chris, surely this isn't newsworthy, especially for the likes of CNN and MSNBC, right? I mean, not when they have a three-year-old riot to talk about. I mean, that that's certainly crowding any any talk about this, right? It's interesting because uh, it, it, the day after some of the biggest um, leaks from you know the the Biden crime family have occurred have been the day that, you know, Trump indictments have been announced. So obviously Jack Smith and some of these DAs like Alvin Bragg are working in cahoots to try to, you know, uh, drop, drop, you know, big bombshells uh, in, in, you know, right on the cusp or right after the fact that uh, these uh, house committee hearings are producing very, you know, big circumstantial evidence that shows that, Hunter and Joe definitely uh, were in business together with foreign oligarchs. Uh, the Burisma thing, I think, is just like it could not be more apparent. You know, Joe goes to Ukraine and he says, you know, unless you fight the prosecutor, we're not going to give you the billion bucks. He actually said that out loud at a uh, foreign council relations, uh, you know, meeting or something uh, right after the fact. So, yeah, there might not be smoking gun evidence as of yet, but there is a ton of circumstantial evidence. But like we saw with uh, Hunter Biden and his sweetheart plea deal, it seems like the Justice Department is not interested. When uh, Christopher Wray, the uh, director of the FBI, went up to Congress a couple of weeks ago, Matt Gates asked him, are you interested in this? And he basically just said flat out no. And he, even Matt Gates said that it seems like you're curiously not interested in this. So, yeah, there's a cover up. It's, you know, it's bad news for the American people, bad news for Donald Trump and bad news for, you know, Donald Trump supporters. But. This is the world we live in these days. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild. And it, it's like a sad thing that I'm like basically like apathetic about it, you know, because like there's so much of this stuff is coming out and it's just like it's almost tiring to try to keep up with it. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this information? I mean, we can come on and talk about this on the podcast, but unless the people that actually have power to do anything about it, do anything, like we're just sitting here like wasting our breath that's what it seems like just like your what's your take on all this yeah i mean i i think that that's the most frustrating part of the whole thing is that it seems as though it doesn't seem as though it is it is a fact that when politicians in the democratic party do things that are obviously illegal there are rarely ever any negative repercussions for them beyond some negative media coverage that they get from right-wing press, which they get all the time anyway. And most people just ignore. So that that's, that's it. I mean, the biggest scandal, the biggest scandal in terms of the media attention and the impact politically and everything else that happened during the Trump administration. And there were many things that happened and that were alleged to have happened and whatever. But the thing that really sort of kicked off the big Russian collusion thing in a way that uh, even a lot of Republicans were like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know, was when we found out that there had been supposedly meetings between Donald Trump Jr. and others in the Trump campaign at Trump Tower with people who were tied to Russian oligarchs. Like that was the big thing. You even had Republican people politicians in Congress coming out saying like, yeah, we really need to look into this and whatever. We found out later on that, you know, nothing really came of that. And, and there was all sorts of really disturbing, weird things going on there as well. But that was the big thing, right? The big, big, gigantic scandal was, wow, it looks like these people met. There was no agreement. We all know that, that there there's no one who's saying that any sort of dirty deal was made. But the fact that they even met with them at Trump Tower, like that was enough. You know, that was the idea. Here we have mountains more evidence than that. Not just mountains more evidence than that. We actually have people going on the record saying, yeah, they were getting money. Yeah, uh, Joe Biden knew what was going on. We have people who are uh, at the very least saying, yeah, we were there. He was on the phone with the business partners while they were doing these deals. You have, and why is this question never asked? You have these foreign oligarchs, business people, people tied to the Chinese Communist Party, all of this stuff. They're handing mountains of cash over to this moron, right? This guy who's just a moron. He's he's a drug addict. He's into prostitutes. They know that. They know he's an idiot. Anyone who spends five minutes with this guy know he's an idiot, okay? 
The guy is so smart that he leaves cocaine in the White House, right? So this is the kind of guy we're dealing with. Why wouldn't you think that these people, these super well-connected millionaires and billionaires would make sure that the money that they're handing to this moron actually results in something? Like, don't you think that they would think that at the very least? Do you, Does anyone really think that they would just be persuaded by this guy just talking to them and saying, oh, I can do all these things for you. But then in reality, he literally never, ever, ever, ever delivers, not even a little bit. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. If these people are handing that much cash over to this guy and they're putting him on boards of directors of companies that he, where he has no expertise and no business knowledge, no reason to be involved, you know that the people who are giving all this money to, to the Bidens in this case through shell companies, which I actually think tells you a lot. Why did they set up a bunch of shell companies if everything they're doing is above board? Like, what is even the point of that? Um, they know that they're getting something out of it or that there's a really good reason to believe it. They're not just basing it on some loose promise from Hunter Biden, which is how the New York Times and others are portraying all of this. And then, if even if you want to cling to that against all common sense and logic, like that that's the situation, that, you know, it was just Hunter, he made all this up, he tricked his dad to get on the phone a bunch of times, his dad didn't know who Hunter was with, it was all just... You know, there's nothing to it at all. It was all just Hunter Biden and that's all it is. And you have nothing else to worry about and that's it, right? If that's the case, then is it just a coincidence that Joe Biden is bragging about removing Ukrainian prosecutors that were causing problems for these very same business partners that were handing money over to Hunter Biden? The argument you would have to, the position you'd have to take is, yeah, just a coincidence, just a coincidence. That's all it is. Just a coincidence. There's nothing behind that. How about the fact that even recently, like this is how stupid they all are, you know, even recently you've got Hunter Biden selling hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of his garbage art to people who are whoa, then whoa, getting whoa. <laughs> garbage art, Donald garbage art. I'm staying, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a strong stand on that. And then he's for, and then, and then what they get appointed to commissions. Like, and that's not, if it, like, how is that not obviously a scandal? I mean, right. this is, this is so, what's, it's insulting. It is insulting that they would actually think that anyone who looks into this would come to a conclusion other than this is corruption. Of course it's corruption. Are you kidding me? Like, this is the only reason they're taking this position is because they know that a certain segment of American society will never bother to look at the details. That's it. Anyone who actually looks at the details and, and believes truly, truly believes that Hunter Biden was doing this all on his own and Joe Biden got nothing for it or whatever, anyone who actually takes that position is stupid. They are stupid. No, no even moderately intelligent person would look at the facts and say, you know... I don't think Joe Biden knew anything. And yeah, they've got these shell companies. And yeah, there's all this tens of millions of dollars floating around. And yeah, the family's all involved and they're all benefiting from it. But Joe knew nothing. He knew nothing. Yeah, we've got emails that, that talk about 10% for the big guy. But yeah, but that's some other big guy. We don't know who that big guy is. Somebody else. It's like, you have to be stupid. And I just don't believe that anyone really is that stupid. Jim, Jim, I think uh, I think Justin is giving. Is he snorting the the painting in there? No, what? no, no. He, he paints that? by blowing it through his through his mouth. Oh, okay. He really <laughs> likes blow, uh, blowing. Sorry, uh, blowing paint. Uh, so yeah, Justin or, or Jim, I think Justin gave you a rant, run for your money when it comes to rants. In fact, I want to hear in the chat who did a better job ranting about this topic. Was it Jim or Justin? Let me hear you in the chat there. Uh, but, uh, Jim, I do want to move on to Bidenomics, but since this is the topic that you really wanted to talk about, I'll give you last words on this. No, that that's it. And I'd forgotten about the, uh, the, the joke artwork, uh, scam. That is just a way of money laundering. Uh, you know, his artwork is objectively garbage. It's terrible. <laughs> and I remember I saw a Twitter thread, uh, the other day where it compared Joe Biden's artwork and what it fetched. Uh, to pieces by Picasso and uh, uh, Cezanne and other and other classic masters of of art, and he got five hundred thousand dollars for one of his piece of garbage artworks. While you know Picasso went for like 
you know, like 250,000 or something like that. So, you know, and, and again, the media is, we're supposed to, we're supposed to believe according to the media that uh, this is all fine. It's all in the up and up. Hey man, the guy's just a good artist. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's what the market bears. I mean, it, it's absolutely absurd and it's actually an insult to anybody who is a real artist to see that this is happening. Um, because it's just a money laundering operation. I mean, the people who bought these, first of all, they try to keep it secret on who bought um, these these pieces of art, but some of the names leaked out. Um, and I uh, I did not see any pictures of people proudly displaying their artwork in their living room or in their foyer or anything like that. So uh, yeah, well, if, uh, if, this, if, again, this this if if the Trump if the Trump family was anywhere within a hundred miles of this kind of corruption the entire country would come to a screeching halt and stop. And there would be nothing but this talked about on media. And as uh, Christine uh, Laurel, who's one of our loyal uh, watchers here on the podcast no noted, a lot of people have no idea any of this is even happening. Sure. The media will not cover this. And in, this is a, a, a thing from a notebook from last week that I meant to bring up and didn't, but a, uh, according to a poll by AMAC, which is the conservative um, response to AARP, uh, you know, most people, yeah, here it is. Less than half of Americans even know the, about the Biden scandals the, the, because the story is virtually absent from the pages of the Washington Post and New York Times, while uh, CNN and MSNBC don't talk about it at all. So, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to save your country from corruption when half the country doesn't even know it's happening. All right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, this is my favorite picture of all time right here. Uh, Hunter Biden blowing on this art or whatever. I really feel like if you were to zoom that out, you would see that he's sitting at like a table with a bunch of like kindergartners that are all doing finger painting and stuff. But hey, that's just me. Um, any other last words on this topic or should we move on to our main topic? All right. Hearing nothing. Let's uh, let's go on to our main topic. So, you know, he might be one of the most, uh, you know, corrupt presidents in, in modern history, but at least he's presiding over a booming economy. Am I right? Well, back in June, the White House released a propaganda letter. I mean, a, a press release uh, that was titled Bidenomics is working. The president's plan grows the economy and the uh, from the middle out and bottom up, not the top down. So the propaganda statement reads his plan. Bidenomics is rooted in the recognition that the best way to grow the economy is from the middle out and the bottom up. It's an economic vision centered around three key pillars. One, making smart public investments in America. Two, empowering and educating workers to grow the middle class. And three, promoting competition to lower costs and help entrepreneurs and small businesses thrive. According to the release, Biden is putting his plan into action by spending money on clean energy pro uh, projects, increased spending on apprenticeship programs, spending more money on universal pre-K, and issuing an executive order saying that the government is uh, going to more aggressively use antitrust laws. Also, changing rules so that hearing aids can be sold over the counter. Also, raising taxes on the rich and big corporations. Sounds like a recipe for success, my friends. And remember, success means good, which is not bad. And guess what? Bidenomics is working. The economy has added millions of jobs since the start of the term, uh, Biden's term, when people are allowed to go back and work their jobs. Unemployment is less than 4%. Inflation is nearly half the level it was when it hit a 40-year high just several months ago. And according to this press release, inflation-adjusted income is up 3.5% since the president took office. Do I even need to go further? Do I need to explain any more about how well the economy is doing? I think we can call the episode over right now. And if you still don't understand... Maybe I should have somebody else explain it. Maybe our very astute and linguistically gifted vice president. Here we go. Oh, 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 oh. Come on, Kamala. You could do it. I believe in you. Yep. Oh, Jim, 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 Jim. You didn't. Hey, this is on you. You didn't pull your thing down off the stream first when you called for it. So that's on you. All right, who's clicking the button? Producer. Who's clicking right. the button? All right, here we go. Go ahead. You click it. And Bidenomics is working. Today, the unemployment rate, okay, here's the evidence. 
Today, the unemployment rate is near the lowest it has been in over half a century in our country. about it think about that just think about it actually inflation just rose the past month hey whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa let's bureau of labor statistics report how just you? came out this morning oh just, my gosh how dare saying. you just Don't, how dare you well yeah. let's start off with chris here because when i pitched this topic to you you were literally in the middle of writing an op-ed titled bidenomics is bankrupting americans so uh take your time lay out your thesis you have the floor chris talgo Okay, well, let's start off by saying that inflation continues to plague the economy and Americans are paying more for essential goods like gasoline, energy, food, you know, all the stuff that they need to buy. Uh, wages are not rising to keeping up with inflation. So the standard of living for the middle and lower class and working class is actually going down under Biden. So it's not going up. That is just a complete and utter falsehood. Uh, I think that people like Kamala Harris and, you know, the, the uh, talking heads on cable news, they don't care because they're gliding above this. You know, they're, they're making, you know, enough money that this is not really impacting them. But the very people that Joe and Kamala claim that they are there to help are actually just getting, you know, just pulverized by Bidenomics because Bidenomics is predicated on um Higher taxes on corporations and the wealthy, which means, you know, less uh, job creation, less innovation, less entrepreneurship, uh, the uh, money printing and the four point trillion in new borrowing over the past two years alone is one of the main factors for inflation. Couple that with his anti-fossil fuel energy stance, which has made the cost of energy, which that is, you know, just throughout the economy and that impacts prices for everything going up and up and up. So across the board, Americans are getting, uh, you know, hurt and uh, Biden's policies and his, uh, you know, economic agenda is the reason for it. And the stats, the, the stats tell that this is, you know, happening. Uh, first of all, almost two thirds of Americans disapprove of Biden's uh, economic, you know, approval, how he's handling the economy. Uh, couple that with uh, how Donald Trump was handling the economy before the pandemic. And you see a very big difference. Uh, not only that, but uh, ma Americans are struggling just to make ends meet. You know, 61% uh, are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, 20 million are behind in their utility bills. I mean, this just goes on and on and on about how people can't get ahead in the Biden economy. And then when you when you uh, throw into the equation that the high inflation, which he's causing through his stupid energy policies and his, you know, modern monetary theory program, is causing the Federal uh, Reserve to hike interest rates. That also harms people who are at the bottom because guess what? They're putting uh, enormous amounts of money on credit, the credit card, which just uh, you know surpassed the one trillion threshold for the entire country. Uh, auto loans are going up. You know, home uh, home mortgage rates are going up. So everything that he's doing, he says, "Oh, this is for you know the middle class and lower class." It's just complete and utter false. Don't don't buy it. Bidenomics is for the rich, you know, Democratic donors who are making tons of money off of Biden's, you know, green energy boondoggles. We just saw another big giant, uh, you know, EV bus company went bankrupt. And, you know, wow, it sounds a lot like Solyndra and Biden under Obama. But these are the people that, you know, are getting these hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies. These are the people that are reaping the rewards of Bidenomics. And meanwhile, just everyday working Americans are getting the shaft from Biden uh, economics. And uh, not not to mention the fact that his wide open border is driving down wages for American citizens. Well, I heard that the amateur art scene is booming right now. So at least that's one part mm. of the economy that's doing well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I read through your piece. I don't I don't know if that it's published yet. So everyone that's listening to this podcast is getting a sneak peek about it. But uh, there was some there was some stats in there that I thought were super interesting. You, you mentioned some of this stuff, but 66% of Americans can't afford a $400 surprise expense. You mentioned the credit card debt surpassed $1 trillion, up $300 billion since Biden entered office. The alarming amount of people pulling money for like emergency reasons out of their 401ks. Like it's just a, a litany of different like data points that you have in this op-ed. That's just like, oh, I thought Bidenomics was crushing it. Why are all of these things happening? 
And, but and, the, and, you know, Kamala, Kamala and Joe love to state that the unemployment rate is low, but that's that, that that's such a meaningless uh, metric, because if you look at the labor force participation rate and if you look at the number of Americans who are in the labor pool uh, before the pandemic and where we are now, two and a half years out of the pandemic, we are still down uh, the total number of, our, of American uh, people who are in the labor pool. And that's with six million new uh, illegal immigrants who've entered the country. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Justin, you wrote a piece published in Newsweek about the uh, some alarming data as well in regards to the housing prices. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about what we're seeing right now is you have sort of a weird economic situation. We don't normally see the kinds of things that we're seeing currently where you have really low unemployment rates mixed with all these other indicators that some of which Chris just talked about that seem to show that there are, there are problems or economic problems. Usually when the unemployment rate is low, historically speaking, if you look over very long periods of time, that means the economy is doing really well and everyone is generally speaking, benefiting some groups more than others, of course, depending on the period. But that's usually what happens. But in uh, the current situation, we have all this data that shows us that there are a whole bunch of people that are struggling. And when they just survey people and they ask people how they're doing, a lot of working class and lower income people say they're not doing very well at all, that things are getting bad, they're getting worse. Yet the unemployment rate is really low. And um, why is that? Well, I think that there are um, a, a variety of reasons for it, but I think the biggest is that what's what is happening to the U.S. economy in the long term here is we are transitioning to a quasi-modern monetary theory model of economics where the central bank and government print and distribute massive, massive, massive amounts of money. A lot of the economic growth so-called growth comes from government programs, some of which are necessary or are useful in some ways, um, and others, most of them are not. Um, it's a lot of broken window fallacy type stuff where the government is, you know, creating a program they don't really need, shutting down one industry and propping up another industry and doing things like that. Um, and the massive amount of money printing that's going on does keep unemployment low, a lot of people leave the labor force, as Chris suggested, and just live off of the government. Um, in, uh, in, in other cases, uh, there are jobs around because the government and central banks keep pumping money into the financial system so that corporations and others, especially big institutions and including government, has a lot of money to hire people. But real actual wealth doesn't increase, right? So you have sort of a flat, relatively flat uh, GDP growth rate. Uh, you have problems with uh, lower income and middle income people being able to amass wealth. And that I think is what we're seeing. And I don't just mean in the Biden era. I mean, if you look really starting with Obama going forward, that really has been the model that has been developing. And under Biden, it, in the wake of COVID, it's been sort of supercharged. And if you look at Japan in particular, this is this is what's happened in Japan. Everybody knows if you just Google Jap, you know Japan's economy, and you just Google things about Japan's economy, you'll see that basically everyone agrees Japan's economy has been not very good for a long time. They have uh, had very little GDP growth for like thirty years. Okay, they they've called it the they've had lost decades. They've had multiple lost decades. All kinds of problems in Japan, aging population, all sorts of issues related to that. But the unemployment rate in Japan has consistently been relatively low and stable. And that's because they prop the government and central bank there prop it up by printing lots and lots and lots of money and keeping interest rates at basically zero or even less than zero. They have negative interest rates at times in, in Japan. Okay. So that's how they do it. They flood the economy with money and that causes all this, all these distortions. People are actually not getting wealthier, the average person big institutions and banks and corporations and people like that, they continue to get wealthy. And some people as a result of that get wealthy, but most regular working class people do not get wealthy from that kind of a system, right? 
And so you start to see all these distortions that come into the, to the economy that in a free market economy don't make any sense. Like having really low unemployment, but having no GDP growth. Like these things don't exactly make sense, but that's the kind of stuff that you see when you have trillions and trillions of dollars pumped into an economy. So in the United States, one of the biggest distortions that occurred over the past couple of years is in the housing market. When COVID happened, they lowered interest rates down to basically zero. And then the central bank, the Fed did, and the government printed trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars and pumped it into the economy through stimulus programs and just sending checks to people in the mail um, and doing all kinds of other things, COVID relief programs, et cetera, telling people that you can't go to work, so there's really no economic growth, but we're going to keep giving you money anyway, right? And during that period of time, in the midst of a total economic shutdown in the United States and in other places around the world, or near total shutdown, housing prices went up. They went up by a lot. And that makes no sense unless it's being driven entirely by distortions in the marketplace. So from 2021, a period of time in 2021, uh, for seven straight quarters, the housing price, the average price of a home in the United States, not a new home, but just any home in the United States, increased by 15% each quarter for, I think it was seven consecutive quarters of growth. So housing prices were not just going up by a little bit. They were going up faster than it has ever happened before in history in the United States. Never happened before where you had that kind of consistent growth quarter after quarter after quarter in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic where you had people scared to go outside and uh, and actually spend their money. The, house, the cost of housing skyrocketed. Now, because of that, whenever you see this happen, historically speaking, and this is what the Newsweek article that Donnie was talking about earlier uh, discusses that I wrote. Whenever you see housing prices increase very rapidly in the U.S. economy, historically, almost always you have a crash, some kind of an economic crash, either the stock market or an economy-wide crash or a housing crash or a combination of those things that happens afterwards. And the reason for that is because housing prices shouldn't go up that fast, okay? Now, they've never gone up as fast as what we just saw happen. So it's possible that we're going to see a crash unlike any crash we've ever seen happen. And we've started to see that in the housing market in particular. In the first quarter of 2023, the average cost of a house, sales price of a house, declined by more than 8%, okay? More than 8%. That is the first time in the history of housing sales data that we have, which goes back to the early 1960s, that we had a single quarter decline top 8%. It's the fastest, steepest decline in housing prices ever, ever in the history of the United States, worse than during the Great Recession. At the height of the Great Recession, I think it was about 7% was the worst single quarter drop. Then in the second quarter of 2023, it dropped a little bit more by another couple percentage points. So in just two quarters of the first part of 2023, housing prices dramatically, dramatically declined. So after immediately skyrocketing for most of 2021, parts of 2020, almost all of 2021 into 2022, getting up to outrageous levels. We're talking about the average sales price of a home going up by $150,000 in two years, okay? $150,000 in two years. We now see the steepest decline that we have ever seen in the history of the United States. These things only happen historically according to data, okay, not my personal opinion, but these things only happen when A, you have massive amounts of distortion entered into an economy from the government and or central banks, usually a combination of the two, which is exactly what we saw. And almost always you have a gigantic catastrophic economic decline that happens immediately after something like this occurs. And the scariest part of all of it is, as I've said repeatedly throughout this, this is we've never seen this steep of an increase in housing prices or this steep of a decline in housing prices in terms of the rapidness that this is occurring. So it doesn't mean 
that we're going to have a, like a Great Depression, Great Recession type thing that happens soon. It doesn't necessarily mean that because we've never seen this kind of money printing before. We've never seen any of this. No one has ever done right. the things that we've been doing for the past several years, like shutting down the entire economy and all of that. We've never seen this stuff before. So we don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is based on the data alone, it's looking really, really, really bad. And it surely isn't looking like this is like a golden era of economic prosperity. And right. I'll add one, I'll add just one last thing about the housing prices, because this is actually really, really important for people to keep in mind. The av the cost of buying a home is not just the price of the home. It's the price of the home, generally speaking, plus the mortgage rate that you pay, right? Because most people are not buying it in cash. So for regular people, the price of a home is the price that you pay, the sales price, plus the 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 mortgage rate now the mortgage rates are higher than they've been now in like 40 years and the sales prices are higher almost as high if you you know obviously they just steeply declined but they're still basically higher than they've ever been other than just a couple of quarters ago so the cost of buying a home right now is essentially the highest it's ever been ever in history for regular people so regular people can't buy a home which means they can't build wealth because that's the primary way that you build wealth. So regular people are struggling paycheck to paycheck, as Chris said before. They are having trouble putting food on the table. They can't afford a $400 expense, emergency expense, if it happened to them tomorrow. The price of groceries and gasoline is higher than it's ever been before. The cost of buying a home is higher than it's ever been. The cost of buying cars is almost as high as it's ever been. Roughly, it's in that period. The interest rates for everything is insane. The cost of having debt, which America is now addicted to, is higher than it's ever been before because of the interest or higher than it's been in a long time. So we are... These are not the conditions of a booming economy. These are the these are the conditions of a declining economy. Do, wait, 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 Justin. Do I need to play the Kamala Harris clip again? Because I don't think you understood. Maybe she didn't dumb it down enough for you. Because Bidenomics is working. Do I do right. I need to play the clip? And, and and you know, and Kamala Harris is don't right trust about your everything. lying eyes. Don't trust your lying eyes. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jim, I, I was surprised when I first started to hear this narrative being spun that the economy is doing great all doing fantastic i mean i look around and i see the high energy prices i see the the high gas prices the high food prices every week when i go grocery shopping and oh the economy is doing great I'm like can you check again please like can i get a second opinion on this what do you think about all this jim well i mean justin really laid it out well and so did chris i mean the the idea just just politically i mean uh People feel the economy more than they look at numbers. I mean, people just get a sense of how things are going. Uh, I'm reminded of the uh, 19, yeah, I'm showing my age again, but I'm reminded of the 1992 election with uh, Bill Clinton against incumbent George H.W. Bush. And the the motto at the Clinton campaign headquarters was, you know, famously articulated by James Carville was, it's the economy, stupid. And despite the fact that actually the numbers were actually showing that we had we were climbing out of a recession and we had economic growth and things were looking up, um, the media, um, by just parroting whatever Bill Clinton said, um, convinced voters that the economy was in bad shape when in fact the economy was genuinely improving. And of course, uh, throughout the 90s, the uh, American economy did very well as, as we ramped up toward the uh, digital economy and NASDAQ and all that stuff before the, the dot-com crash. What was it? 2000 or 2001. So you know, people feel what the economy is more than they, more than they see it, but, but it does, you know, the stories we have in the show notes today, 61% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, even as inflation cools, right? Because inflation is only 3%, I think was the, uh, was the stat, in that story on, I think it was CNBC. Um, yeah, it's only 3% and it used to be seven or eight. And what was it? I mean, real inflation is actually more, is definitely in double digits and has been for the last uh, year and a half, two years. And because people understand what it actually costs to live their lives compared to what it costs six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. Um, people here in the chat are, are, have left comments saying that, yeah, I got a raise last year and it's all been 
um, gobbled all up by inflation. I mean, you you need a raise of probably 8%, 10%. How many people get a 10% raise in their job? Not many. Um, Deal, Jim. That's I'll what you it. need in order to actually <laughs> feel more spending power because inflation is just sucking all the value out of your dollar. Uh, people know that they're spending twice as much at the gas station as they did during the Trump administration. Uh, people know the cost of groceries have gone up dramatically. People know that when they go, if they want to go out to eat or even just stop at McDonald's, that a, you know, a, a combo meal, say number one or whatever, not that I would know exactly that a number one is a Big Mac meal for sure. And a number three is a double quarter pound of a cheese meal. I just, I read that. I don't know that from personal experience, but you know that you're paying several dollars more for that meal today than you did a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. People know these things. And so it doesn't matter that Kamala Harris, who's never convincing when she speaks publicly, can say that Bidenomics is working. People know that it's not working. They can see it every day in their in their paychecks. They can see it every day when they go out to the grocery store. They see it every day when they go to get gasoline. Uh, and, you know, it's people are not going to buy it. Um, it's it's going to be a really tough sell, I think, you know, coming up into the presidential election. Yeah, well, uh, there's another another guy out there that's been uh, pushing this idea that, you know, the economy's doing wonderful, it's doing fantastic, everything's great, and that is world-renowned economist Paul Krugman, most known for predicting that the internet would be no more revolutionary for the economy than the fax machine, Paul Krugman. He has been celebrating the reductions in the level of increased inflation over, uh, you know, every month that he can. And well, now he wrote a opinion piece in the New York Times titled Everything's Coming Up Soft Landing. And from what I can tell, the primary point of this article is to chastise people who aren't blindly optimistic about the state of the economy. When discussing the latest round of inflation numbers, uh, Krugman writes, even media reports, as far as I can tell, generally omitted the but concerns remain qualifiers that have seemed mandatory when covering good news in the Biden economy. Yeah, that damn anti-Biden media out there that uh, keeps undercutting the success that he's having. You're right on target, Paul Krugman. The next paragraph is all about Republicans that are mad that the economy is doing well, saying that they are more or less in denial and that they're worried, quote, that they may be losing pretty much their only substantive campaign issue, leaving them with nothing to run on besides wokeness and Hunter Biden. Not the words of a partisan hack at all, folks. And lastly, a section calling out other economists, quote, who committed themselves to the grim view that we would face a nasty sacrifice scenario that controlling inflation would require years of high unemployment. Basically, Krugman's point of view is that uh, you're an idiot if you even worried that the basic economic rules would reign supreme in the wake of everything that we've seen over the past few years. And also, I want to make something clear. I hope the economy does great. I hope that economic growth roars. I can. I, I am far more concerned uh, uh about like my family and my ability to take care of my family than any red team versus blue team political theater however if the economy thrives over the next few years uh and the things that justin and chris pointed out reverse course uh i'm still going to know that the economy did this despite bidenomics not because of it so, uh, Chris, I'm going to come to you. Uh, I know that you're a big Paul Krugman fan. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you What do you have to say about his opinion on this matter? I think Paul Krugman's assessment, uh, you know, it, it demonstrates what uh, the uh, media establishment, you know, thinks is going on. Because, like I said earlier, this is not impacting them to the degree that it's impacting, you know, people, um, you know, like everyday Americans. Uh, you know, Paul Krugman, I'm, I sure he has more than enough money to make sure that he gets by every single month and is never worried about inflation. I mean, I, I bet people like that didn't even go to the grocery store. They don't, they don't fill up their own cars. They don't, un, they don't understand the economy like, you know, ordinary Americans do. So I think that it's, it, it makes sense that they kind of are living in a bubble and same with Kamala, same with uh, president Biden and so many of these uh, other people who are, who are celebrating the economy because they aren't actually experiencing it like, you know, working class Americans are. So 
I I do think that they that they look at well the unemployment rate's low that's good oh we've created 13 million jobs oh that's good oh everything's good but they aren't willing to go and uh you know go to like small town main street america and ask them you know how is the how, how is the economy working for you how are these policies impacting you what like you know what 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 do you want what you know what mm-hmm. do you need so i just think that that really, really demonstrates the bifurcation that is happening right now. And I don't think this is only on the Democratic you know, side of the aisle. I think that, you know, for many years, a lot of Republicans were guilty of the same thing. It's these these out of touch politicians, these out of touch elites mm-hmm. who see things through the prism that they want to see them through, but they aren't seeing them through the prism that the vast majority of Americans see them through. And that's that is a recipe for disaster, because if you've got people who are quote unquote running the economy, even though, you know, we don't have an economy that's centrally planned, but, you know, but president Biden has a lot of power as head of all these uh, federal agencies. And when you have a Congress who for the, you know, at least for the two years of, uh, you know, Biden's first term were spending lots and lots of money and, you know, adding to, you know, the inflationary pressures, I think once again, you just have to understand that to them, it doesn't matter. The Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's, the people who are voting for this stuff, it doesn't impact them. They don't care. Yeah, we got uh, those are the words of uh, Chris Talgo, the heart of the show, as some people would refer to him. And uh, uh, while you were talking there, we got a $20 super chat from Christine saying, so great to have Chris back on the show. So there you go. Uh, but Chris, are you like uh, like Paul Krugman uh, argues just a just a a Republican in denial that's rooting for the economy to do bad. Absolutely not. I mean, I mean, just like you said, and just like Jim and Justin, I'm sure can attest to, we want the economy to do well because that makes our lives better. However, the policies that are being, you know, uh, pushed by the Biden administration aren't going to do that. Mm. So we need to go to the opposite. We need to go to a more free market. You know, we need to deregulate. We need to take the gloves off. We need to, you know, stop all this ESG nonsense And when you look at the first two years of the Trump presidency, I'm not saying that everything was super rosy by any means. However, there were, uh, you know, we were making uh, improvements, especially for the lowest income uh, quintile of American uh, workers. They were they were actually making more money than the uh, than the people in the highest bracket were making. So we were actually decreasing you know, inequality. And if you look at under Biden, inequality has gone uh, Worse than ever, the Gini coefficient has actually increased more than ever under the Biden administration. So, so it's like, yes, they say that these things are meant to help this, you know, the little guy, but really their policies aren't. And we need yeah. to put in place policies that are going to rev up the economy, that are going to actually allow uh, entrepreneurship, research and development, all these things that are really the bread and butter of the American economy. And like Justin said, and I could not agree more. Really, what they're doing is they're, you know, they're they're just playing shell games. They're just, you know, they're they're uh, doing things that are bad for the uh, fossil fuel economy, but then they're trying to just pour billions into the green energy economy. So it's it's almost like this whole thing is just duct to, taped together, and it's like a house of cards. And I fear, do really fear, that it is on the cusp of uh, breaking down. And I don't want that to happen. But maybe it's going to be a good thing that it happens because maybe it will once and for all open up uh, people's eyes as to, wait a second, we need to stop going down this road and we need to go down another road. And that other road is just very simple. It's free market economics. Justin, we only have a few minutes here, so I only want a couple of comments from you. But uh, I mean, just in light of what Chris said, like even if the economy wheels fall off. It's not like Paul Krugman's going to get be out of a job. He's going to be like, well, nobody could have predicted that. <laughs> so, well, fat, final comments on this before we start. Yeah, wrapping up yeah. The show. I mean, he's, I mean, he's a total joke, and he's been a total joke for a long time. He gets all kinds of predictions wrong. There's no doubt about that. But I, um, I, you know, one of the things, and and this is one of the reasons you know he's a total joke. We didn't mention this earlier, but um, but the Biden administration talks all the time about the inflation rate coming down. Right. And I think Jim it was either Jim or Chris made the comment that like, well, I think it was Jim, that if you look at like actual inflation, you know, they're talking about CPI and CPI has got flaws in it. And like real inflation, when you're actually looking at that is is much worse. And Donnie and I have talked about this for a long time. You got to look at inflation by industry and market. You can't just look at overall inflation if you really want to know what's going on. But on top of all of that, just as a really basic, this is the this thing bothers me more than anything else that the Biden administration says. 
When they say that inflation is going down, what they mean is that the rate of increase in prices is going down, mm -hmm. but prices are still going up. That's what inflation is. Exactly. So when the inflation rate goes down, but doesn't go to deflation, which means right. it's actually prices are, that's what, what means prices are going down. All that means is that the rate of increase is going up. So all of the really high inflation that we've seen has not been reversed. It isn't because the rate is going down doesn't mean that the prices are going down. It just means the prices aren't going up as fast as they used to go up. So you are poorer, more likely than not. The vast majority of people are poorer today than they were when Joe Biden became president because of the inflation. Right, right. And the inflation, until it gets reversed or until the economy grows its way out of all of this and you get wages surpassing by a lot, the price increases that we see, which we're not seeing yet, you're still going to be poorer. So it's not getting better. The idea that it's getting better is ludicrous. It's just <laughs> not as, it's, it's like, it's like we were a boat taking on lots and lots of water because we had a gigantic gash in the hull, right? We've now semi-repaired the gash. There's still leaking water. There's still water coming in. The ship is still sinking. But we're not, that doesn't mean things are better. No one would say, oh, great. This ship isn't going to sink. No, the ship's still on track to sink. Yeah, you Just know, not as fast you know, you as know it was the, before. You know when the rate of uh, of water being taken in by the Titanic was like stopped? Was when it was underwater completely. <laughs> yeah. You know, it didn't take on any more water after that. It's uh, just so, it's so frustrating. Like, and, and just to top that off, basically, even by the CPI numbers, if you just look at over the past few years, if you spent $100 a couple of years ago to buy the exact same stuff today would cost $116 and that's using the CPI numbers, okay? So when your grocery bill, if you're spending $200 in groceries a couple of years ago, it's $230 or $40 today. That's the reason why. It's because of that inflation. So things are not getting better. They're just not as they're just not declining as quickly as they were before. Jim, we're already north of an hour here, but uh, I can't bring up Paul Krugman without letting you get a swing at it. Uh, oh, feel, well, feel, no. feel free to pitch your, uh, you know, link to your other article, too, that you talked about this on a completely different topic. Oh, yeah, I can add that to the stream. There we go. Yeah. So I wrote a piece the other day. Paul Krugman is an arrogant idiot and he's worried. Good. Uh, this yeah, wasn't actually for, for, for different reasons. For this different is... reason. Yeah. About, about the climate. So you can go to heartland.org uh, and in the, the three things that are featured at the top, that's number two. You can check that out. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll just I'll just say to wrap up, I mean, it, it was not it's easy to forget how recently it was that the economy was actually doing gangbusters. I mean, by every measure, practically every single economic measure that we use, the economy under Trump's presidency was as good as, as it had been in decades. I mean, economic growth was strong and consistent. Inflation was held very much in check. I mean, we never talked about inflation. You didn't, never did the word inflation ever, ever be mentioned in news stories during the entirety of the Trump presidency until, and then of course, after COVID and all of that. But, you know, that was great. Um, as Chris pointed out, the income gap between the richest and the poorest, which the left and the media and Democrats are always so obsessed about, was narrowing. It was the best wage time and job uh, um, you know, job environment for minorities in this country ever. And this was all just a few years ago. And it's because of policies that the Biden administration put in place that destroyed all of that, uh, starting with monetary policy and, and, and putting trillions of dollars into the economy. What do you think is going to happen? Of course, you're going to get inflation. Um, and so, you know, policy matters. Who is who's in charge in Washington, D.C. matters. And it wasn't even just the the pro growth kind of economic policies that a man from the private sector like Donald Trump would naturally embrace. It's the idea that his very presence in Washington, D.C. put the brakes on all of this globalism garbage that was going on from Europe across the across the Atlantic to the United States. And so just pausing the agenda of the globalists made um, the United States the the most vibrant and and best economy in the world mm -hmm. and all of that was thrown away and so it, you should not be surprised at these bad economic uh figures because this is the inevitable result of the policies that were put in place on purpose with with the with their own vision in the united states by the Biden administration 
Yeah, no, absolutely wild stuff. But man, once once I kind of like pinpointed this as a topic to talk about, like I just started seeing all the stuff on Twitter and all the news articles talking about Bidenomics. And I swear there's a narrative being pushed out there, like a choreographed narrative. I don't know if this is trying to set the stage for any upcoming election or whatever. Of course it is, but it's not resonating. But yeah, but that that's the thing that's being pushed from all directions. They're all using the same terms, which is just a hallmark of when they're trying to push an agenda. So I thought, you know what? We have to tackle this. We can't just let this go, you know, unchallenged, unrefuted. So, that's you know, Donnie, why. just one 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 last really quick point. One of the things that I find so, so hilarious is when I do watch like the CNNs and MSNBCs, they actually get frustrated that the American people are not buying, you know, Bidenomics. So they literally like get angry. Like, why are why don't these people realize how good the economy is for them? Oh, they must be so stupid. No, actually, you guys are the stupid ones because you don't understand how terrible the economy is for so many uh, hardworking Americans right now. Right. But you know what? 2024 is coming soon. And I really think that uh, we are going to see a reckoning uh, against, you know, Bidenomics. Yep. And we'll be here to talk about it as uh, as weeks go by. But I want to, unless anyone's got any last words, anything they want to get off their chest before we wrap up the show. I want to thank everybody for joining us for this week's episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. If you're an audio-only listener, make sure to leave a review for us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. But you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays, where we are live streaming this at noon central time on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter. And you can join in the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, you can help us out if you are one of those watchers by that like button subscribing if you haven't already sharing this content or just leaving a comment underneath the video all those things won't cost you a penny only cost you a couple of seconds but helps break through those big tech algorithms to prevent content like this from being shown to more people also if you'd like you would follow us on twitter at in the tank pod or you can send us your comments questions or suggestions to the show by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you at Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always go to heartland.org. Fantastic. Justin Haskins, same question. Uh, I'm not going to tell people, but instead I'm going to read off a list of famous people from New Hampshire. We've <laughs> oh got Adam Sandler. We've got uh, D- Donald Kendall's favorite, Triple H. He's from New Hampshire. Franklin Pierce, the 14th mm. president of the United States, one of the least known presidents, Robert Frost, Carlton Fisk, Hall of Famer, Red Sox great, Dan Brown. Scraping the, the bottom of the barrel I, I over know. here. This is... these, are, these are highly you successful at, people. You peaked at Triple H. Let's, let's move on. Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, Stoppingsocialism.com and Harlem.org. All right, fantastic. Thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you next week.